Hey, Forge family. In podcast four, we were in Joel chapter two. Joel had laid out in podcast three what he was seeing of the coming of the day of the Lord. With an army advancing and overwhelming the city of Jerusalem, with the Lord directing that army in judgment on Judah. Podcast number four begins with the Lord Yahweh breaking into the prophecy of Joel with these words. Quote, yet even now, declares the, the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Unquote. The words from the Lord were followed by Joel's strong encouragement about the Lord's character that he would relent from his anger if Judah would repent. That was an offer of grace. Further, Joel drops the possibility that the Lord might turn and leave a blessing behind, that of grain, oil, and new wine with which to bless the people and restart the covenant required daily burnt offerings to the Lord in the temple. Joel called for a shofar blast from the temple, the complex on top of Mount Zion, and called for a fast, a solemn assembly for all the people. The priests were to stand in the buffer zone between the porch and the altar, separating the people from the holy place and the altar of burnt offerings, and that the priests were to weep and intercede for the people. They were to mirror the words of Moses when he addressed the anger of God against Israel, threatening to wipe them away. Quote, Spare thy people, O Lord, and do not make thine inheritance a reproach, a byword, among the nations, unquote. Let's pray. Over and over in the scriptures, Lord, you show yourself willing that none should perish and that you desired all would come to repentance. You even showed that to Nineveh, a truly wicked city, but they repented before you and you softened your anger and had mercy on them. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. How much more will you relent for us if we pray for our nation and we repent and turn to you as the one true God? As Forge family, keep us on our knees, grateful, faithful, and obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, take out your Joel text Open to chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verses 18 to 19. Quote, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land, and will have pity on his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied in full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach amongst the nations. Unquote. The first word in these verses is telling. When a prophet or writer of scripture by Holy Spirit says, then, in regard to the Lord, it signals that he is ready to turn, to relent, to embrace his people again. Some translations place the word jealous here instead of zealous. It was jealous as a husband for his wife, it was zealous 
as if the Lord God fiercely identified himself with his people and with the land of Judah to uphold them and his covenant. See, what we need here is the blend of the two. Jealous and zealous, okay? Because the Lord so loves his people that when they turn to other gods, his heart longs for them back. And he is then zealous to recover them even through judgment for their sin. The reference to pity refers to pure compassion. In verse 19, we see both a near-term fulfillment of a promise from the Lord and a long-term prophecy laid out far in the future. First, the Lord says he will immediately unwind the curse on the land of agricultural devastation by supplying grain, oil, and new wine in such abundance that Judah will be satisfied. The Hebrew word for satisfied speaks of restoration in abundance. That will fill bellies. And the people will once again bring daily burnt offerings of meal mixed with oil and new wine to be poured out before the Lord, probably in the reverse order. That was immediate. Short-term fulfillment of the Lord's promise. But then he spoke through Joel that once and for all, he would take away the shame and reproach, the bitter slime of the Gentile nations that had looked on Judah and the Lord as utter failures. We know that if Joel is dated approximately 835 BC, that precedes the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC to the Babylonian armies. They they crushed the walls, they burnt and destroyed the temple, etc. Okay? We know that the armies of the Roman general Titus crushed Jerusalem, killed a million people, and burned and dismantled Herod's temple in A.D. 70. So that second promise from the Lord to entirely and eternally remove reproach from Gentile nations for Judah and Jerusalem has not yet come to pass. That part will result at the end of the day of the Lord. As you can already see, divine speech if you will, words from the Lord's mouth begin to dominate the second half of the book of Joel. In verse 20, the Lord continues to make promises that are set far in the future. Quote, but I will remove the northern army far from you and I will drive it into a parched and desolate land and its vanguard also into the eastern sea and its rear guard into the western sea and its stench will rise and its foul smell will come up for it has done great things. Unquote. In the day of the Lord, okay, and this is, this is essentially the end of the day of the Lord, has to do with the, the uh, battle of Armageddon. Okay, this vast army of allies against the Lord and Israel will invade from the north. This vast army is met with the angelic army of the Lord and the warriors of Judah, as we read in Zechariah. This text indicates that the army of the Lord will drive the invading army into a dry and desolate place, which in Judah is south into the lands of the Negev Desert, and there split that vast invasion in two. The leading, inva- the leading vanguard, you know, the, the, this point of the spear, is to be devastated and driven to the east into the Dead Sea, and the rear guard 
destroyed by being driven into the Mediterranean. Further, in a prophetic record of the Battle of Armageddon and the Valley of Jezreel, there will be so many enemy bodies that it will take seven months for all of them to be buried. The stench of decaying bodies will rise. In several translations of the last phrase, for it has done great things, the text is translated, for he has done great things in other places. Okay, I believe that that better fits the, the uh, context here. Additionally, it's spoken of in the past tense as if such a battle, such a devastating victory was already won by the Lord. Hallelujah. Verses 21 to 24 record the Lord's response to the repentance of Judah here out of the mouth of the prophet and he calls the people of Judah to celebrate. Quote, Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. For the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication. And he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. And the threshing floors... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) The threshing floors will be full of grain and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Unquote. The prophet Isaiah uses nearly identical words regarding the command, quote, do not fear, unquote, as an indicator that redemption has come, with the Lord saying, do not fear, three times in Isaiah 41. From the text, it appears here that the Lord released resources from heaven so that Judah was well fed and the sacrifices started again before the early and late rains that he promises. Likewise, he re-greens the wilderness for the beasts of the field and causes fruit trees to bear rich fruit out of season. It is those periods of drenching rain in the late fall and the early spring that make agriculture in Israel work and prosper. Interestingly, the phrase, quote, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication can be equally and exactly translated as he has given you the teacher of righteousness for your vindication, unquote. Here is a significant reference to the Messiah coming to Israel after a time of great destruction. That ties Jesus Christ to the day of the Lord. I'm sure that the first half of verse 25 is familiar to you all. But let's set it in context. Quote, Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army that I sent before you. Unquote. Okay, so once again, the Lord takes responsibility for sending the locust swarms over the land of Judah, saying that he now will repay He will make up to Judah all that they suffered. The reference of years would indicate that the locust plague had lasted for some time. 
the sorrow, the fear, and the loss that Judah experienced is to be followed with an experience of full restoration. The Lord intimately knows of the years of deprivation and suffering. And now he promises that those years will be rewarded and there'll be compensation for damages. Verses 26 to 29 opens with abundant food, followed by abundant praise to the name of the Lord. Here's the second reference in the text to the people being satisfied. See it as an exclamation point. <clears throat> and you shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the, the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. So right in the middle of this, you hear the, you hear the words of, of Joel. And in the middle of a sentence, the Lord steps in. Okay? Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God. There is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, and even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Unquote. So here, too, is a double reference to taking away the shame of the people. Now, we know from Zechariah's prophecy that the removal of shame and the security of Israel come at the end of the day of the Lord. It is to this passage that Peter refers in his Stand Up and Preach session on Pentecost morning in the streets of of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2, Peter does not quote Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and 29 in the same word order, but rather points to the text to say that the outpouring of tongues of fire, of glossolalia, of languages identified by the listeners on the streets of Jerusalem that very morning was what the prophet Joel had looked forward to. Now remember the mountaintops and high ridges of prophetic interpretation. Here is an early partial fulfillment of the Lord's promise through Joel, by which we have been mightily blessed for 2,000 years, during which we have had direct experience of God by Holy Spirit. Realize that Pentecost did not complete the fulfillment of that which is spoken here in Joel. It is yet to come. There is more. The outpouring of the Spirit will not only be for those chosen for specific service to the Lord or for the followers of Jesus, but rather on all mankind. Joel says that such an anointing will produce prophecy, dreams, and visions. On Pentecost, it came first on the believing Jews, and then quickly leaped into the Gentile churches. There's a foretaste here of Paul's teaching by the Spirit that this will flow into and out from the new one man in Christ. Neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, slave or free. They're all going to be anointed. 
they'll all prophesy. Verses 30 to 32 continue the account of what it started with this. It will come about after this, unquote. Okay, and it says, eight quote, and I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. <clears throat> it should be noted that in the, this, this time frame, okay, <clears throat> the blood, fire, and columns of, spoke, of, the, of the smoke rising, they, they speak of God's literal presence, a theophany as it did during the Exodus. But it can also speak of burning cities, slaughtered armies, smoking ruins. See, these are foreboding apocalyptic images with solar and lunar eclipses. Remember in Zechariah that the warriors and people of Judah are driven in battle up onto Mount Zion for a last stand. When Jesus, the Christ, descends from heaven and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, it splits, creating a whole new valley and a way of escape for the people of God to flee. Here in Joel 2.32, it will be Israel that calls on the name of the Lord and salvation will come, as well as a remnant that will escape. The closing phrase says that the survivors will be the one the Lord calls. So right here you've got those who call on the name of the Lord and they're saved. And, in the same phrase, the survivors, if you will, be the ones whom God has called to himself. It is both our cry and his call. Ford's family, I'm sure all of us have at one time or another cried out to the Lord to restore what has been taken from us. At least we perceived it that way. Sometimes he answers swiftly. And sometimes we learn that what we wanted to be restored was not what he wanted for us. Nevertheless, when we call on the Lord for protection and restoration, know that he hears and responds redemptively. If he did it for Judah, he may do it for you. Likewise, we are a company of believers that honor Holy Spirit in our midst. For it is the Lord, the Spirit, that makes known the presence of the Father and the intercession of the Son. That encounter with God by Holy Spirit can be sweet or convicting. It can be glorious or terrifying. Know this, family. As much as you have experienced of the outpouring of Holy Spirit, there is more. <clears throat> Finally, Remind yourselves often that the Lord keeps his promises, even when they are out of sight or out of time for us. Here in Joel, there is shaking fear and deprivation followed by the presence of the Lord in the midst of his people. Such may become your experience. Your simple statements of the faithfulness of God can have mighty impact on the lives of those who do not yet know or trust Jesus on those who do not yet know or trust Holy Spirit. 
Keep asking God for divine appointments as we come towards our remembrance of Pentecost in the next few weeks. Watch for doors to be opened. The doors that he opens. Expect his words to be in your mouth. Let's pray. Lord, the Spirit, thank you for coming out from the Father to be governor of earth and for convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Thank you for the access to the courts of heaven that you open to us. Thank you for your protective intervention. Thank you for your strength that equips us to obey the Lord God. Thank you for awakening the scriptures within us so that we think, we pray, and we move with expectation of your presence with us. Get us ready for what comes next. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family, you are loved and missed. We'll see you soon. God bless you.